Yo, yo, yo. Sync Gems, episode five. Thanks for tuning in. Today we have an amazing guest, Eric Campbell. Eric Campbell has an amazing community. Uh, he started on Clubhouse and now he's just doing amazing things. He's actually actively pitching his students and his community members' music. He is such an amazing figure. And the first part of this interview is actually dedicated to decoding his mindset because he's done so much pivoting in his professional life from supervising to uh, producing for shows to opening his own agency. He's done it all. And I want to know what makes people like this tick. In the end, we talk more about the sync world. He drops insane gems about pitching the labels and libraries. He talks about common mistakes he sees producers make. And that's an awesome one that I actually sent in. He also talks about an interesting technique that I did not know about to gain success in the ad and TV world. So stick around for that and let's get to it. Woo, Eric Campbell. Hey, hey. Uh, I am so excited to have you, man. I'm so excited for having you on the podcast. Thanks for coming on and making time to, to be here. Yeah, it's my pleasure. It's, uh, also, I appreciate the invitation, man. I'm looking forward to the convo. So I've done quite a bit of research, and I've also been uh, listening to your clubhouse room, which is amazing, and your con control camp and everything you're building is something that's very admirable to me. Two things that, that I want to start with. First of all, what was the mindset you grew up with? Um, that's an interesting question. Um, I think my mindset growing up is probably a totally different than my mindset as an adult. I was kind of a, um, I was always like a bookish kid. So I was always reading and trying to learn things, but I was also socially pretty awkward and um, uh, pretty. Um, What's the word? Just, just I was very unconfident, and um, I was I I was I skipped a couple of grades when I was a kid. So I was younger than everybody in the classes that in the grades that I went to. So socially, it was very hard for me to connect you know, um, with a lot of the my peers in my class. So that that left me kind of um, just not not very confident, not um, one who really kind of, I wasn't really one that kind of sought out what I wanted or, um, uh, you know, I wasn't always the one that kind of sought out, you know, what my desires or kind of pushed for the things that I wanted. So I think as I was always musically talented. And so I always had that and that kind of helped me stand out in some, in some spaces. Um, so I had that and I just had my natural like desire to, to learn or ability to learn. I know I could learn things relatively quickly, but I was always very, very musically 
musically driven. So um, I think that was me growing up until I got to college. I think college is where I learned, this is where I kind of found myself, found my confidence, found um, uh, a lot more of my like inner drive. But prior to that, very kind of introverted and um, a little bit stayed to myself and um, kind of tried to be you know, more of the, the quiet kid. The reason the reason I ask this is because you've developed this hustle, which is also it's so diver it's so diverse and and you've moved around so much between doing things. So you started in hip hop, right, and then you move on to uh, um, working with this Austrian pro producer and having this duo, and then you guys start making like rock stuff, and you just moved around and really pivoted in this industry so much. And I really yeah. want to know what made, what, what do you think made that happen? Mm, that's a good question. Um, I think it was always, well, one on the music side, I was always musically diverse for as long as I can. Like I play a lot of instruments. You know, I started playing drums and piano when I was six years old and um, added violin when I was in middle school and saxophone in high school. And so with all those instruments, I'm playing in different bands. So I'm playing in my high school's marching band and the high school jazz band. And then um, I grew up in New York City. So New York had a lot of money in public public um, music opportunities. So there were community bands I did where um, uh, community orchestras. I was almost every night of the week. I was in some rehearsal um, in either a formal band or jamming out, you know, to records and private lessons. And so, I, and I was playing everything, you know, jazz, um, playing to uh, Latin, playing uh, rock, uh, learning classical music in the orchestra. So I, I was always musically curious. And my father. Um, had the most had the most amazing um, record collection, so he introduced me to a lot of, you know, blues and um, uh, jazz and soul and seventies rock, and so I like I just had developed this almost like this encyclopedia of music from playing it, and uh, so musically the diversity was always there, and I think um, just you know, over time, trying to find a pathway to income in music led me to, I think the pivoting was necessary. It's just always looking for the opportunity, always looking for what's going to make sense. And just, I was always willing to try something, but also always willing to kind of let that thing go and try something else. And um, I don't, um, that's, there's positives and negatives in that, you know, um, I think my curiosity makes me quick to pivot to something. Something else seems interesting or another path seems like it makes more sense and I can kind of switch up. Um, but, you know, the downside of that is um, you got to make, you sometimes make yourself stick to one thing to, until it works. But, I've always tried to find a balance between pivoting 
and digging in and you know to a thing that works and so with music it's just it's such a hard path that for me i had always acquired kind of experimenting and taste testing lots of different things to kind of see what makes the most sense mm. man because you, you 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 juggle a lot of balls let's just let's just put it that way like <laughs> it's not it's not you're not a jack of all trades you're a jack of everything and it's it's just like you have so many things going on right with with music and with supervision and with uh making music for a show here and with doing this executive producing it's just it it feels like it was you were kind of gifted with this ability to just you know like a bee and i i can really appreciate that because you know a tendency that a lot of humans uh, that a lot of humans have and i have is to just like stick to my guns and and kind of hold on to it as much as i can and it feels like you have been just hopping from one thing to the other one thing that really got my 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 attention was your story with um with um with the producer, the, the networking that you did in the, when you gave the talk with the, was it executive producer of um, Greenleaf? Oh, um, uh, Matthew had the, no, that is the music producer for Greenleaf. So, so you got, you got with him and if y'all want to hear about it, just go to Clint's uh, podcast because he talks about it beautifully, but they got together in a conference And and the next thing you know is Eric's making a, a, a track after a day for this producer and he gets the whole gig. Now, you started in this show, uh, you started producing for it or did you start by supervising? How does how did this go? So um, that show, um, I was brought on to be the vocal producer. Um, so, cause it was, there was the, I was working for the music producer and the music producer, um, got hired by Lionsgate to, um, oversee the music for the show. And then he was able to pull together his own team. And so I was part of a team. It was probably, I don't know, seven or eight of us on the team. Um, but I was primarily responsible for producing vocals whenever we bring actors into the studio to sing their parts. I was going to oversee the um, vocal production. There's actually two of us that uh, oversaw the vocal production and also worked on vocal arrangements. There's a lot of choir um, recordings in that show. And so we would do vocal arrangements for the choir. Um, and I also got to do some, uh, some songwriting. So songwriting uh, came along as well. But primarily my role was, uh, was as a vocal producer. Got you. And and you also experienced the world from the supervisor side. Yeah, no, that was later, but it was the same, it was the same um producer. So my relationship with Matthew Head, which started on Greenleaf, you know, I mean it's still ongoing, he's a very close friend now. Uh, but he we went on from working on Greenleaf, which was 2016-2017, I think. Um, and then we, I also worked with him on a TV show called Step Up High Water, um, doing original music um, with 
actors like Neo and other great actors on that show. And so uh, Matt Head, um, he's brought me a number of opportunities uh, out of that relationship. So I worked with him on a show called The Family Business. That was 2020, I think. Um, when on that show, I served as the music supervisor. That was my first um, supervision gig. Um, he was, again, he was the composer for that series. And this is a season three, I believe. Um, and so um, it was either 2020 or 2021. I might have my years mixed up. Um, but that was my, that was my uh, first and to this day only music, official music supervision gig. Um, but was supervising that series and primarily bringing on um, um, uh, you know, licensed music for the season. Got you. So I'm interested. What were your biggest takeaways from going to the other side of the curtain? So, um, well, I think for me, primarily, the biggest takeaway is that I really like, I, I mean, I'm learning a lot about the administrative side from that. Um, I, I appreciate how fast TV moves. I might get an email that says, hey, we need a song for this scene, but they might need it in, you know, sometimes 24, sometimes 48 hours. And, you know, you, you have to make a lot of um, quick decisions. But I think I really, really like being on the creative side. So music production, songwriting, no matter what happens, I think on the admin side, even now that I have my, my own agency that I'm growing, it's still important for me to stay creative, to continue writing, producing these things that um, ultimately that role is the most important. And I think doing the music supervision gig, I appreciated the opportunity for it. But I know that I always want want to stay creative and make sure that that's primarily what I'm doing. But it, it's a, it, again, it, it amazes me. This 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 mentality of yours amazes me because not every musician would take that. I'm I'm telling you, like I am telling you. A lot of people wouldn't. I, I I would guess eight out of ten wouldn't take that uh, that that gig, and and you move in fearlessly. And that's why I, that's why I'm, I, I want. That's what I wanted to code here because there's something. You Thank know? you. Um, I don't. Yeah, I don't. Maybe maybe it's fearless, but I think it's I. It's more going to what excites me, and I think ultimately. We were just talking about this actually yesterday. I had a group on Clubhouse. We had a conversation with Gildy Flores and Steph Fink. And we were actually just talking about um, a lot of what looks like drive and ambition is, um, is actually um, a love for learning. Like there's, there are people who really get energized by the opportunity to learn something. Um, new and so um, I think it was, so. Gildy and Steph were talking yesterday about how every time they get a job, the thing that they're they're hired for a particular thing because they know somebody or you know a good relationship or some something on their resume that stood out, and so somebody brings them on to a new opportunity. But that new opportunity comes with a whole host of things that they may have never been prepared for that they weren't um, hadn't been trained in. Or, or what have you, and 
uh, we one of the things we said was the reason why that is, I mean, we all get stressed out about those things because we're working on the deadlines and other people's expectations. But the reason why I think we thrive in those type of situations is because we all love the opportunity to learn something new, whether it's a new technology or a new skill set or or just explore something. I am, um, and I was, I've always been that way. I, I've only worked one real job. Um, and that was, I worked for years as a project manager for a consulting firm. And I loved it because I never did the same thing twice. Every three months I was on it. I, one, I might do one project as a programmer, programming uh, um, a, a website application. And then we were off to another client doing six months of business process design and then off to another client um, reimagining their billing process. And every client, every project, I had to, a short amount of time to learn what this client was doing, how they worked, and to figure out how to you know, make my contribution in, the, in a relatively short period of time. And I love that because, you know, in a number, in a few years, I've I learned about so many different industries. I learned how businesses operate in different places, and I think ultimately that's what I that's what drives me. It's uh, taking opportunities to just learn how things work, expanding my own level of understanding. Um, and so, whenever I have that opportunity to do that, um, it makes me say yes more than that. Even if time is an issue, you know. Um, or other things aren't ideal, learning kind of trumps everything. Was there an instance where you had to speak to, uh, to, to specific artists when you were supervising mm. or managers or? Not in that one, a particular role. I wasn't, so it wasn't a traditional, um, that particular supervision gig, you know, the creative director or an editor might have a song they want, and then the supervisor has to go out and get that song cleared. They've got to call up the label and find out who the publishers are. And do it. Um, for, well, fortunately, I did not have to do any of that in the family business. I was the one, um, the, the music was a clean slate. So I pretty much was able to source all of the music myself. I was able to source it through, um, mostly through the Control Camp community at the time. I didn't. I had. I was just launching the agency, um, so it was mostly putting up briefs within you know youth throughout the community of you know. I, it was a lot. The very hip hop heavy show, so a lot of hip hop briefs, um, and also at that time I did it through all the networks that I was a part of. So Facebook groups that I was um, sync a member of sync sync related Facebook groups, uh, my own community. Uh, members of the taxi community. I just went out and hit everyone I knew that did, did music and understood sync and put out briefs and then started going through the songs that were sent in. So I didn't really have to deal with um, people who didn't understand sync or the label side or the publisher side. So it, it made it a little easier for me because I already had a wide network of, of artists to pull music from. Mm, got you. Yeah, and another thing that I'd like to to go into is community and your where you shine is is the place of community. Uh I mean the 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 way you you cultivated your community and how 
supportive people are around uh, what you've created is amazing. So I'm interested in in asking you going into it, what what how do you build a, a community so intentionally? like you do in in a world that is so small, you know, like the sync world is, is tiny. Yeah. There's not a lot of players. And, you know, like the, when I got into the sync world in 2017, uh, um, I was told like, if you build a, if you, if you um, burn a bridge, uh, better, better know that people are gonna, somebody's gonna know about it. So, right. so you gotta, you gotta be careful kind of thing, but also, how do you find a safe space to be in, you know, and share and, and, and share without getting burned? Because, you know, how do you go intentionally about creating that around you? I think, I don't know how intentional all this was. I think some of it boils down to recognizing, looking at all the opportunities, trying a few, and then digging into the ones that seem to be paying off and you're taking some guesses in terms of which ones pay off, off the most which one's going to have the biggest payoff which is what i think all businesses and music in particular because um control camp started off of clubhouse clubhouse started you know with the pandemic and that was when it was at its peak and um i i wasn't building a community prior to that i was um i was doing some small things i had you know i I took a course that a lot of us people took, a lot of people took in, in the community, took this um, 6FS course. And there, there was community in that. And I was always kind of seeking out community. So I joined Taxi and I really enjoyed that community. I liked the 6FS community that came to Kathy Hellas program. And I was, I was a participant in those, not necessarily a leader, um, but I you know, would go to the conferences and do the meetups. But when, um, and then when Clubhouse started, um, I had heard about it and checked it out. And it seemed, it seemed like something that was very, very promising. And so me and another one of my peers, a hip hop artist named Daraj, we just said, hey, let's, you know, it seems like you know, people were opening up their own rooms and just presenting information. And I was always, I had already been doing conferences and just sharing about sync. So I said, Hey, why don't, you know, why don't we do this here and just kind of share, not knowing what it would do. It was just, it was just another thing to try, always trying stuff. And so it just took off faster than everything else. Like, and it took off so quickly. People started coming into the rooms very fast we got invited to do our talk in other people's rooms. And like, I was started watching my Instagram numbers and t- Twitter numbers of followers rise up. Every time I would speak, another hundred people would follow me. And I was just like, this, this is real something magical happening here in this thing. So it made me keep digging into it. And, um, um, and within a few weeks, it was clear that I could get more momentum in terms of getting to meet people, getting people to know me, establishing, you know, myself in the in the space um, by building community there, and so I was look. I've you know, I think I was very driven to. Once I saw it, I was very driven to build the community. It resonated with my own need. I I've always wanted um, a 
I've always wanted community, especially community in the area that I work in. So I, I want to be connected to other musicians. I want to be connected to supervisors. I want to be connected to other industry people. And this was providing it very, you know, there's a lot of serendipity happening in that app. You know, supervisors would just walk into the room. They would message me afterwards to ask how they could help or how they could participate. I was just getting so much personal relationship growth from doing that, that it just made sense to keep doing it and expanding it. And so um, it, it kind of showed me that it was worth putting the time into it. And then I've just continued to believe, even as Clubhouse started waning off, I've just seen so much productivity and community that I became then committed to growing the community, really doing it in a spirit that agreed with me, not wanting to try to oversell things, but to build it genuinely with the belief that if I built it genuinely, it would foster growth of real opportunities that we could all benefit from. Yeah, I mean, there's so many, there are so many things that come up when you, when you talk like that about things that work, you know, I, I do want to double click, you know, like, even getting back to the sync world, right to making music, which is this, this podcast is for the initiated and uninitiated, but it's for, you know, it's to empower people to sometimes when something's working, keep going with it. You know, like, and I think that's what I got from, from your little, little thing. You had a ride, you had a great ride. Now it's tapering off, but you are, you've created something there and now you're riding off that. So it's just like a little, it's a, it's a little crazy eight. It fit, it feeds itself. Crazy eight is not, is not set in a good context, but, but you know, it, it's just like a, a kind of this, this loop that, mm -hmm. that comes back and Yes, it's just, I think this, this podcast is really, this specific episode, the, uh, the biggest takeaway would be like the, the importance of community because you can be in your room as much as you want, but if you don't go out and commu really communicate genuinely with people, you're not going to get as many opportunities as, yes. as you would if you wouldn't have gone to that conference and seen that, that music producer and, and vibed with him, right? Exactly. That's, that's something that, that uh, after, after a pandemic like that, you know, it can really be out of people's comfort zones. So uh, that's, that's a great place for, for your clubhouse and for your, your community to, to whoever's listening to this, just like, check them out wherever because this is this is great thank you yeah yeah man genuinely it's uh, you've created such a such a, a such a safe space for for artists and uh and it's important to to acknowledge when something like that happens in a very good way so so kudos i that. appreciate that if you were a music producer right now you had only $500 and a computer and you wanted to succeed in the sync licensing business, what would you do? Uh, music producer um, with only $500. I want to succeed in the sync licensing business. Um, and good. you got a computer and a DAW. A computer. <laughs> you got a DAW and a computer. All right. I, what I would do um, if I was starting all over from scratch with what I know now, 
I think I would, um, I mean, there's still so many different options, but the number one thing I would do is I would go to sync agency websites, all the big ones like Marmer said and um, so stereo and, you know, trailer group. I'd find all the big, um, you know, people, agencies and find the ones who have the big reels on their pages of the placements that they've gotten. I've seen the ones who I can see they're getting placements recently. Um, and then I would look on their roster of artists. Um, I would go through the artists and I would see who I think I could make tracks for. And I would pitch myself to those artists. I'd make some tracks and pitch those tracks out. Um, same thing producers always do, but instead of pitching them to major artists or pitching them to A&R, the publishers, I'd pitch them to those artists who are already signed to those big agencies because they're already signed, paperwork's already done, they already got people pitching their music, big people pitching their music, but a lot of those people need instrumentals or may need a producer. And I would probably hit up every single one of them that I felt like I could do music for. And if I just had one or two respond, I would get to work and just get them some of the best instrumentals ever and um, get some songs with them. Um, prior to knowing what I know now, I would have said I would just get to making tracks and pitching music libraries. But um, the artist route is faster and more profitable uh, for the same amount of work. And so that's what... Um, and you don't need that five hundred dollars at all. You can save that for you know food or something to keep keep you going while you're staying up late nights making all these tracks. Um, but I, I that's what I, yeah that's what I would do. All right, now um, production producer questions because you're a producer, you're a fellow Ableton user, which is good. <laughs> How would you describe your production style in three words? They could be totally different words. Uh, creative. Um, creative. Impactful. And sound design. Even that's two words. I'm using it as one. What's the most common mistake you see producers making? in the sync world? Mm, most common mistake I would say is not using references uh, for production or mixing. Um, I feel, yeah, I'd say a lot of people will kind of mix or produce based on what's in their head, but not having a reference to ground you um, increases the chance that you end up with something that's not pitchable because it wasn't based in something that has already been pitched. Totally agree with that. And I, I send in that and I send in that sometimes still like going into creative mode and just getting into that fairy world. Right. And then just forgetting about <laughs> that, <laughs> completely forgetting. But yeah, I mean, to, to just get back to that, you know, whenever there is a there is a reference present that I can check every now and then I find myself so much more focused, just like. I have the knowing. It's like having uh, um, uh, an instructor next to you, even though you know what to do. When the instructor is right. next to you, 
you feel more comfortable in doing things, whether it's like a physical activity or whatever. Um, so it's true. I totally. And even sometimes it saves you. Sometimes it saves you because I, you could be working on something and I, I don't know. Sometimes I think human nature has this thing in us to always say, Oh, it's never enough. I need to do more here. And so I need to, I need to, my drums must not sound big enough or especially if you haven't mixed the thing and you're listening to it and it, it just sounds incomplete or not full enough or not big enough when you have that reference. So you're like, Oh, I've, I only got like 10 instruments on this. I, I know I need to throw some more on there, but if you have the reference and you're like, Oh, well, they only got a kick drum and a pad and a synth and whatever it can keep you grounded. It can fight against that part of you that always says this can't be good enough. This, I've got to do more to this to make it work. Mm. Definitely. Definitely. And in a lot of these times you, you have to take things off instead of adding. right. Yes. As a, it's, it's a, it's another thing. I'm, 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 I'm confessing in all my <laughs> sins today. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> uh, one pro tip for dealing with libraries for people who are pitching currently. Um, I would say just kind of, and this is with all pitching in general. I'd say the polite, polite persistence. So you know, if you're just pitching to them, then then you know, don't overlook them. Don't shoot. Don't fire yourself and say, oh, they probably don't want this or my stuff may, must, may not be good enough for them. You know, go ahead and pitch and then feel free to follow up. Give it a couple of weeks. Don't just because you don't hear something back. Don't let don't tell yourself that that means they don't like it. Could be they haven't listened to it. It could be they listen to it and they just haven't gotten around to get back to you yet. So polite persistence um, is a great formula for all of us. Light persistence. I'm writing it down here. I am, and I'm not. I'm not gonna confess in that, man. That's it. That's <laughs> it for me. Um, <laughs> all right, man. I gotta. I just want to say thank you, man, for hopping on. And to conclude, where where can people find you and follow you and all that kind of good? Sure. Stuff? Um. So, uh, the the best way is reaching. Um, well, you can reach me through the community, which is Control Camp. It's spelled C T R L Camp, C A M P dot com, controlcamp.com. And then, um, best way for following me directly is finding me on my Instagram, which is at Eric Makes Music, E R I C M A K E S Music. Um, you can message me there. I check those pretty frequently. Um, so, controlcamp.com and my Instagram. At Eric makes music. Amazing man. Any any last piece of advice you wanna you wanna leave us with? Uh, just um, stick to it. Music is not um, an easy path, but really no path is easy. And so, if this is something you want to do, um, you know, it's I it, whether you think you're interested in writing for TV and film or not, I think every creative musician owes it to themselves to at least explore and understand how sync works. It's one of the few paths where anybody can get involved, learn it and generate income with, um, um, 
in a field like music that is, you know, really difficult to make income in. So everybody should at least understand it um, for themselves. Amen. Amen. Eric, thanks so much for coming on. You're a legend. <laughs> My pleasure, Roy. I really appreciate you asking me. Great, great discussion. Yo, it's a wrap. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you liked it and you want to help me out, go ahead and leave a five-star review and leave a comment with one gem or one thing you've gotten out of this podcast. You can also hit me up on Instagram and LinkedIn. That's where I'm most active. And I hope you have an amazing rest of your day. Peace.